Welcome to This One Life. Today on the show, Jody Milton and Reese Stockhausen. Jody and Reese are relationship and intimacy coaches, bloggers, and co-creators of Practical Intimacy. Since 10 years, they've helped hundreds of couples and over 1 million readers to have the best relationship possible, all while traveling full-time and running a business together as a married couple. They are relationship experts who not only preach, but walk the talk. This is part two of our conversation, where Jody, Reese, and I talk about managing differences in desire and libido in a relationship. That conversation starts by debunking the traditional view of desire and sex life, and what everyone gets wrong about libido, replacing it with a much more empowering model that will completely change the way you think about desire. We end the episode with two groundbreaking, simple concepts that I guarantee you will lead to a more frequent, better, more connected sex life. Enjoy. Now that we have opened up this topic, let's focus on a a smaller aspect of, you know, what breaks down or what creates friction that is managing differences in desire and and, and, and libido with, um, within relationships and to kick us off, um, when I researched you before this episode, you, what, what I found is that you say that our traditional view of desire and sex drive is to a certain extent wrong. And I'd love to understand what do you, th- so wh- why is it wrong and what is a more empowering model of desire and sex drive, a more correct model to think about that? So the way that sex drive has been taught for the longest time is this idea of it as a biological drive. So first we need to understand what is a biological drive. Hunger is a true biological drive. What that means is we need to eat in order to survive. So if we're not If we don't have enough energy, we will experience an uncomfortable state, which is hunger, and that hunger drives us to go and eat. Thirst is a biological drive. We need water. If we need water, we experience thirst, which drives us to drink water. And for the longest time, we've taught sex in the same way. But actually, it doesn't fit that model because for a start, there's no minimum amount of sex you need in order to survive. It's not a part of our most basic survival need. Um, it's a it very important part of our well-being, but it's not actually a biological drive. The other thing is we don't really experience an uncomfortable state that drives us to have sex. Although for a lot of people, what they experience is the pain of wanting sex, but not actually being able to realize that. But it's actually quite different. And why thinking of sex as a sex drive is so damaging is for people who aren't experiencing desire, they can start to think, well, what's wrong with me? I'm broken. I should want sex. What doesn't a normal, healthy person just naturally feel desire for sex? And so in this model, it makes a lot of people feel broken. What we've discovered in through research, and this has actually been known since the 90s, some really amazing research that came out of the Kinsey Institute, is that sex is not a sex drive. Staying with the car metaphor, though, how it actually works is we have a brake and an accelerator. So what that means is 
Our brain is constantly scanning our environment, both external and internal, for all the reasons to turn off and all the reasons to turn on. So when we look at our breaks, our breaks are all the things that should stop us from having sex right now. They're all the things that say, now's not a good time to get aroused. Now's not a good time to want sex because maybe social repercussions, we're sitting and having Thanksgiving dinner with grandma, like not a good time to get aroused, right? So the, the body will notice that, the brain will notice that and go, okay, social repercussions, don't get aroused. Other things that hit our brakes can be performance concerns. So worrying about, am I going to get hard enough? Am I going to come too quickly for women? Am I taking too long to orgasm? Um, am I doing sex good? D does my partner want me? Am I doing this right? Concerns about that will hit the brakes. Feelings of insecurities about our bodies. These things will hit the brakes. There's a number of different things that will stop us from experiencing desire. Stress being the biggest one. Stress is huge. So this is one of the a, a big challenges that a lot of people uh, face is that there's lots of things hitting their brakes, and that's why they're not experiencing desire. And it can be uh, an overflowing inbox. It can be dishes in the sink. It can be unresolved conflict in a relationship. So there's very good reasons why we're not experiencing desire and also arousal um, if those things are hitting our brakes. On the other hand, we have the accelerator, which is all the things to turn us on. And for some people, this might seem obvious, um, but actually we need to put a little bit more attention into actually hitting the accelerator. So often people will think, well, why am I not aroused? My partner's just initiated sex. Why don't, I, why don't I want it? It's like, well, are you actually doing anything to hit that accelerator? Have you turned off the brakes? And have you actually engaged in activities that are going to turn you on? And those turn-ons are different for everybody, but finding out what they are are extremely important so that you can actually start to take control of your own desire. I love the idea of going away from, you know, this, is this a physical... I should feel that physical state. And if that physical state is not there, something is wrong with me. I would assume if you check Google searches, search trends and stuff like that, if, if, you, if, you, if you see what, what people look for when they feel too little desire or libido is likely hormones or something yep. Yep. like that. So, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. um, I mean... There is a physical part to it because reproduction is really hardwired into our DNA. But I love that model from Break and Accelerator because it's so much more empowering. And and then the the very simple equation is okay if I don't feel desire, in likely a minority of cases there might be a physical reason for that. But in the majority of cases, you have to see what's on the break. What, um, what's on the accelerator or what's missing on the accelerator and how can I shift the balance yeah. between these two things? Exactly. It's, it's a much more empowering model as opposed to presupposing there's just a normal level that I'm supposed to want sex, a normal amount of having sex. Instead, what we're doing is like treating each person as an individual here. There is no normal. There is no pressure or expectation that your desire and arousal should look a certain way. And instead, like just getting that curiosity around, yeah, like 
what does prevent me from getting turned on? What is hitting my break? What is going on in my life, in my relationship that's causing me to not have desire and arousal? And conversely, what can I do to more proactively hit my accelerator, get myself turned on and experience interest and desire for sex? It makes an interesting case to analyze because um, likely every person knows situations where they have higher desire and where they have lower desire. Yeah. You, you know, very typical examples, I assume, are on vacation, hey, higher desire. Mm -hmm. When you're drunk, hey, <laughs> high, higher desire. And, and you could really think into these cases. So why do I have higher desire if I'm drunk? Well, likely I don't care so much about social norms anymore, mm -hmm. some yeah. of the stress, so I'm not thinking about that, that work part anymore. I, I loosen up. Maybe I have less issues with my small belly that I have or stuff like that. So you could really think it through. Also on vacation, what happens? Well, less stress. Um, there's some novelty in the in the situation out there. Maybe maybe it's just my partner is completely different. So she she's more relaxed and open and a different person. But it opens up a lot of autonomy to influence that. Yeah. From your experience, I understand that it's going to be very individual from people, but likely there also be some things that are quite common amongst people. Can um, you and you mentioned a couple of those things that are typically on the on the break and typically on the accelerator. But if you want to combine that with tips, other two three things that people should really look at in order to take weight of the of the break and two three things in order to put more weight on the accelerator. The first thing I want to say um, that's very important to acknowledge here is there is a gender difference with the brakes and accelerators. So we find that 70% of men have a sensitive accelerator and 70% of women have a sensitive brake. 30% of men have a sensitive brake, 30% of women have a sensitive accelerator. So what that means is as a woman, and this is true for me, I'm more sensitive to all the reasons to turn off. Now, those same things might be going on in our life. They're less likely to turn off Reese's desire. Yeah. And on the same hand, on the other hand, uh, with our accelerators, Reese's accelerator doesn't need as much as mine. And this is where for a lot of men, especially, there can be confusion because they think their desire for sex just comes out of nowhere. It's called spontaneous desire. But what's really happened is the word sex floated up into their subconscious, or they happen to watch their partner walk past, and that's enough accelerator, and nothing's really slowing them down with the brakes, so suddenly they're experiencing desire. Whereas for myself, just the word sex isn't quite enough to get me going. I need a little bit more accelerator than that. I know, right? I know. So that's really important to recognize, and that's especially when we have a hetero couple where it's important to realize that your relationship to your brakes and accelerators is different to your partners. Neither is right or wrong. They're both normal. They're both healthy. It's just about understanding how you each work. Whereas like the old model of like libido, we just assume that my sensitive accelerator and stubborn brake, that's normal. And that that's the normal that the responsive desire should be getting to. Mm. It's, it's a model that just sets up the responsive desire partner as broken 
and creates a whole bunch of pressure and expectation that their desire should look like mine does. Yeah. And so this is, I think, one of the, the big challenges here in terms of like practical tips in terms of how to apply this. Yes, this theoretical model is great for understanding, but what tends to happen, like especially in long-term relationships, and also let's clarify here that every relationship has this desire discrepancy. Yeah, every relationship almost always has one person who desires sex more than the other. One person who has, you know, more uh, sensitive accelerator. One person who has a more sensitive break. So that's normal. Yeah, we just accept that that's normal. But what happens over time is that because of this difference as everyone listening to this will know, it creates a lot of tension and it creates a lot of resentment. It creates a lot of hurt feelings as the higher desire partner feeling consistently rejected, feeling consistently like what's wrong with my partner? What's wrong with the relationship? What's wrong with me? Like, why is this a problem? Why doesn't it look like the good old days in the honeymoon phase where sex just happened? Yeah, there, there wasn't such a, a difference in discrep a discrepancy in desire. Sex flowed much more easily. What's wrong with the relationship? And over time, just that like continually hearing no, continually hearing not tonight, honey, you know, as the higher desire partner, we do, we feel like rejected and we, we take it personally. The lower desire partner has their own experience of that. Yeah. So for lower desire partner who it's really just, they experience desire less easily or less rapidly than their partner. They feel broken because they're still thinking in this sex drive model, or they're thinking, where's my libido? I should want sex as easily as my partner does. They'll notice some blame from their partner or they'll just feel guilty. Sometimes their partner isn't actually guilting them about it, but the person with the lower desire will feel like it's their fault. They'll feel that they're the one causing these problems in the relationship, or they may well be blamed and then being resentful about that. Um, so there's a lot of pain that comes with this dynamic, especially when we're thinking of it as sex drive. So yeah, one of the initial things is to really, we have to heal from that because like that built up pain, resentments and hurts, those are going to be more breaks like for, for both partners in this. So, you know, having really good conflict resolution skills, having a really good ability to create emotional intimacy where it is safe to talk about and share our hurt feelings and to really hear and understand each other's perspective in that. And like that was a, a huge turning point for us in our relationship because we absolutely struggled with this high desire, low desire dynamic for quite a few years before we really understood like this new model of brakes and accelerators. And being able to have those really painful, uncomfortable, vulnerable conversations around, you know, I'm here with my experience of it feeling rejected and hurt and abandoned and unloved. Let me put that aside for a moment and try and understand how you feel in this. And, you know, for you to be able to show that and display that same understanding and empathy for my experience is one of the big things that helps couples resolve this dynamic is being able to work through that hurt. I can imagine that talking about this in an open way, so emotional intimacy is 
the one or likely the biggest part in starting to, let's say, manage this discrepancy. What are some of the other then practical things that follow? So after you have that conversation, after you understood, okay, there is a different level of desire here. It's not something like built into my DNA. It's it's likely because we react differently to the brake and the accelerator. What are then some of the things that um, couples can do to either um, get their levels more closer to each other or maybe even acknowledge that there's a difference in level but still try to help each other mm. with that? So I think an easy way to share this is to talk about how we personally manage this in our relationship because this is kind of the approach that we uh, guide other couples to create their version of. So the first thing is we schedule sex. We don't expect sex to happen spontaneously. We decide beforehand that we want to have intimate time together and we will block that off on our calendar or we'll discuss it beforehand so that we know that's time that we, we want to prepare ourselves for and bring ourselves our best selves to. The next thing we do when it comes to our time for connecting is work to turn off the brakes. We spend some time turning off the brakes. So one of my favorite hacks for that is have a shower. Jump in the shower and just wash off the day. And while I'm in the shower, I'm thinking about just letting go of any worries, um, relaxing, relaxing my body, getting present. And it also helps me because then I, I feel cleaner in my body, which also helps to remove some of those breaks as well. What we'll often do as well when we get into bed um, is spend some time just connecting. Not huge amounts of conversation, but looking to each other's eyes, having a cuddle. Again, these things turn off the break, make us feel emotionally safe. Yeah. If there has been some kind of conflict that hasn't been resolved, we may need to address that. That might need to happen before we can start to actually be intimate. But once we feel like we've turned off the brakes, we then start to slowly press that accelerator. And because Reese's accelerator is more sensitive, maybe he's already in the mood and he's like, hey, let's go at it, right? But for me, my accelerator is not as sensitive. And so we start with activities that help to warm me up. Yeah. Um, so that might be naked cuddling. It's kissing at first and then kissing with tongue. And slowly I start to ask for the activities that I know will help to press my accelerator or Reese might offer the activities that I that he knows help to get me in the mood um, until eventually I'm aroused, I'm into it, and then sex can kind of take on a life of its own. I think an important thing to note here is that for the responsive desire partner, which is Jody. In order to feel arousal, in order to like to feel desire and interest in sex, they need to be feeling pleasure first. So that's a really important thing to understand is that for the for Jody to get interested and like enthusiastic about sex, she already needs to be feeling pleasure. Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm already interested in sex, whether I'm feeling pleasure or not as the spontaneous desire partner. So I'm already in the mood. My accelerator is already pushed. Oh, and now we're getting pleasure. Great. But for the responsive desire partner, 
helping create an environment where, again, we're turning off those brakes, starting to hit the accelerator, starting to do the actual activities that are creating pleasure in her body. That's what then flips the mind into, oh, and now I want more of that, that I'm actually experiencing it now. Sorry to interrupt you here, but this is just such an important takeaway Mm. to underline because... uh, most of the people, as you alluded to in the very beginning, they don't take any relationship coaches or any anything like that. So the knowledge that you have about that is hearsay and what society somehow tells you and what you see in movies. And and the issue about what, especially what you see in movies is what you mentioned before, sex just happens. Yep. And it not just happens, but you're immediately 100% yep. turned on from zero to 100, coming through the door, long day, rip off your clothes, mm-hmm. directly get, get at it. And just the extreme difference to what you just described where you said um, not only do we schedule time and we um, take it slow, we, we, we build up that arousal. I think what was for me at least even more worth to underline was that in order to have sex, your starting feeling that your starting place doesn't have to be you have to feel aroused mm-hmm. you, you, you know you you have to want to get to that place mm. and then for example as you just described jody first needs to feel pleasure before she gets to a place where she wants to have sex and i think that's such a difference because i would assume that most of the people wait for the spontaneous situation where both of the partners feel aroused yeah and how often does that happen yeah exactly (laughs) and what that does is it creates pressure for the initiation this is another big trap we fall into we make the mistake of thinking when i initiate sex my job is to turn my partner on and that's really tricky to do in an instant or with a one liner but that is the trap that we fall into and often we'll see couples they do what's called the move right And I have sat on so many coaching calls with women and they're like, if he does the move one more time, right? The move might be he rubs my leg in a certain way or he comes up behind me and he cuddles me and rubs himself against me. Now, that might have worked back in the honeymoon phase, but he's now relying on that as the initiation to turn her on. And it's actually hitting the brake. It's having completely the opposite effect. But you don't have to... to initiate sex and have your partner be instantly aroused. If you take the pressure off that and realize you get to really slide into that gently together, like easing into a warm bath rather than having to just dive right in, then you take the pressure off and it becomes easier. Mm, Yeah. And, And that's what's so beautiful about this approach is that it's so, it just, sex gets to be easier. Yeah. When we can just, accept that we have differences in how we experience desire and think about, cool, how do we work together and just collaborate in this? Yeah. How do we help you turn off the brakes? What helps get you in the mood? How do we remove the expectation that we're supposed to be zero to a hundred passion instantaneously and set the expectation that, Hey, it's okay if this is a little awkward, or it's a little clunky to begin with. It's not supposed to look like the movies where we're just ripping each each other's clothes off. 
but we can just work together for it to be really normal, really natural, really caring, really loving. And we just go at a pace where we can just allow that to build because almost always we get to the passionate sex part. Like we do get there in the end. And most couples, when they employ this approach, do as well. But we're just removing the expectation that that's where you should start. On top of what you said, and I already underlined how how important I think that difference is uh, to what you traditional think how sex should happen. Mm. Um, I, I would like to add a concept of mine, and would love to get your 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 thought on it. And but it fits beautifully into what you have described before. You don't have to feel aroused um, to 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 start to have sex. Um, another perspective to that is. I I believe so one you don't have to have intercourse in order to have sex so, and even not both partners have to have an orgasm um in order to have sex and it takes a lot of the pressure off because let let's say you start in a way where one partner or maybe even both partner are not, are not really aroused but hey you know we would we would like to get to that place but now let's add the additional angle of freedom which is hey maybe today i just want to take care of of you and i'm not so much into into you know anything that that happens with my body but i like the connection and and I, and i like that you feel pleasure i mean you're in a very different there's a different set of conversation if you don't like you know your partner to have pleasure um so but this idea that it doesn't necessarily have to be intercourse and it does not necessarily have to mean that both partner get something out of it in, a ter- in, in terms of orgasm adds two more angles of uh, two more degrees of freedom to what what you can do and takes even more pressure off and lets you more explore and see what happens and 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 defines even an outcome where you didn't have intercourse or just one person came as a good outcome this is essential Mm. this is absolutely essential Uh, you can't have a long-term thriving sex life without this perspective. One of the most interesting questions you can ask yourself and ask your partner is why do we have sex? Like what does it actually give us? And, you know, we'll get the obvious answers like it's pleasure. It feels good. Yeah. Um, Enjoying each other's pleasure, you know, seeing your partner get off, seeing your partner enjoy themselves. But Almost without fail, every time we ask a couple this question, we always get to at least one of the answers being connection. What does sex give us? It mm-hmm. gives us this sense of connection that nothing else in life gives us. And both partners will say this. It's very yeah. common for people to think, oh, no, that's just women. That's just what women want from sex. But we will find without fail when we t- discuss with men what it really makes them feel, mm. um, eventually we realize that's there for them as well as a motivation. Yeah. So when we know that connection is one of the core reasons that we desire sex with our partner, Connection has absolutely nothing to do with orgasms. Connection has nothing to do with like the outcome of sex. Connection is actually available throughout the entire experience 
no matter what it actually looks like on the outside. Mm. So connection can happen if we're just lying in bed together naked and cuddling. Connection can happen if there's oral sex. Connection can happen during penetration. Connection can happen during orgasms. It's not dependent on an actual action. So when we make the focus of our sexual experience connection, it has such a higher possibility of being fulfilling then because that's where our focus and that's where our attention is. If anything, I would encourage couples to take penetration off the menu or if at the very least leave it until much later in the sexual experience um, so that they really do have time to connect emotionally so that their bodies are warmed up. This is very important for women. Quite often women are rushing to penetration because they feel pressure to or they think that's what they're supposed to do and it's not good for our bodies. Our bodies need time to really warm up fully um, in order for sex to be pleasurable but also for it to be comfortable um, and for us to then want it next time, right? If sex becomes something that's painful or uncomfortable not or isn't working for us, of course, we're not going to want to do it more. So it is really important to what we call expand our definition of sex and to take away this idea of a destination because that does not help people's sex lives. I think that is a powerful ending statement. And uh, Jody Reese, we we have not only covered like a really good way and how to think about what's the absolute core that I need for my relationship to thrive. Um, but now also edit, I think two or three really powerful insights for how can I have a better and more connected and more fulfilling sex life for couples. And so th that's a perfect place to Thank you very much for the time that you've spent, the insights that you've shared, and ask you um, where should listeners go if they would like to learn more about you or the work that you're doing? So the best place to find us is our website, practicalintimacy.com where you'll find a wealth of articles where we've written about these topics with really practical tips. And we also have specific courses to help people with, for example, the high desire, low desire dynamic that we mentioned. So we have an online study course that's there on our site um, and even courses coming up soon around how to create emotional intimacy in your relationship. Fantastic. Then again, thank you so much for taking the time. I have learned a lot and enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having us. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. This was part two of our conversation. In part one, we talk about emotional intimacy in relationships, what this is, why it's a crucial for a healthy relationship as well as a great sex life, and what the three main reasons are you lost it. A surprising way to identify if it's missing in your relationship and the most powerful strategies to build it. Also, how to avoid the trap of becoming weak and dependent while creating emotional intimacy.